Kia ora, ko Anne O'Brien toku ingoa, he kaiorongi o waituhi o tamaki, no mai, haru mai. I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers Festival Waituhi o Tamaki, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2021 event. Holding the tukutuku. What is the job of a poet laureate? And is it more complicated for those that walk in and out of several worlds each day? As the United States laureate of Native American descent, Joy Harjo, so eloquently puts it. Aotearoa's first Pacifica Poet Laureate, Selena Tusitala Marsh, joins the current and second Pacifica writer to hold the tokutoku, David Eggleton, for a discussion on poetry and power, private and public writing, and his new collection, The Wilder Years. This session is part of the Talanoa series curated by Gina Cole and supported by Totai Contemporary Pacific Arts Trust. We hope you enjoy it. No ia e, e Māori. Thank you for living, David Eggleton. <laughs> no ia e Māori, everyone. Thank you for living and for being here this morning. Um, my name is Selina Tusitala Marsh, and I am in Atalanoa with the beautiful David Eggleton in the session curated by Gina Cole. Where is she? Hands up. Do a jig. There she is. Please stand, Gina. Thank you. <clears throat> Titled Holding the Toko Toko. So I am um, going to do some housekeeping. I'll introduce David. We will introduce our Toko Toko, since this is the first time they've met each other. And then we're going to get into um, a mutual Talanoa. All right, so um, I know you're here for your pleasure, but let's not include vibrating phones in that experience. Please turn your phones off or to silence. Um, please ensure that you've scanned or signed in as you leave if you haven't done that beforehand. Feel free to wear a face mask, and if you feel ill, leave. Great. <laughs> Um, thank you, thank you, thank you to Tautai Contemporary Pacific Arts Trust for supporting this Talanoa series. There will be time for questions after. Questions, not statements. Thank you. Um, we will both be at the author signing table afterwards. Tomorrow, David, you are running a 90-minute poetry workshop called The Bare Essentials at 1 o'clock, and I will be with the kids at a day called Ra Fano at the Auckland uh, at the Town Hall um, in the concert sh concert chamber, I believe. All right, beautiful. I shall now get on to my formal introduction. So much, so much. So we've been put here together because, as the um, former but secretly eternal <laughs> poet laureate. We're going to discuss laureate business uh, with the current and extended um, poet laureate, David Eggleton, who is of mixed European, Tongan, Rotuman uh, descent. He's lived in Fiji, Auckland, and Dunedin kind of forever. He's gone from being, sorry David, but school dropout, <laughs> to one of Aotearoa's leading poets and critics. You've got a dozen awards behind your name. Your first book, South Pacific Sunrise, look at him. Is this, can we get a close-up of the cover? No. 
very young, very chic, very tireless David Eagleton. South Pacific Sunrise, published by Penguin in 1986. To your latest brilliant collection, The Wilder Years, a compilation of nine of your books, you've chosen the poems, and a small selection of your newest poems, mm. uh, published by Otago University Press, published this year. Amazing. You just happen to have a couple of poet laureates, like a poet's laureate. A comment on the back. Ian Weddy calls this book invariably terrific. Um, David Eagleton's poetry is not only the relish of his, not only in the relish of his attack, but in the flash of lyric undoing colour as he dives on his prey. You've got Scylla McQueen calling it vital, elastic, expertly handled language in a Pacific voice of cultural and musical sensibility, poetry to be spoken aloud or in the mind. And just this morning, I wrote this poem in the style of David Eagleton, called Eagleton's Poetry Edges. Fledgling images wing across space, time, page, piles of concatenated anxiety, ridden smidgen pictures, highway pile up against red traffic stop signs, then, Go, go, go into rhythmic flow, the bump and grind of razor-edged objects rhyming bumper to bumper, timing the street signing lines on roads, byways, tracks, lanes, and skyways of Aotearoa. You are a ton of eagle, <laughs> Mr. Eagleton. A feather in Aotearoa's poetry crown. You are an egg. <laughs> in all respects, and we love you, and yep, that'll do. <laughs> Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, Na'i uh, uh, Māori, uh, which is Retirement Language Week this week, uh, and Na'i Māori is uh, um, formal greetings. Na'i is hello. Uh, so um, I'm very pleased to be here, very uh, honoured and feel glad to be here with a fellow poet laureate. Um, I'm the 12th poet laureate, and uh, Selena was the 11th, and uh, I think uh, Bill Manhai was the first poet laureate, then Hone Tufare, and, uh, and so on. So I think that um, there's 11 of us still um, around, and Ani Hone has uh, passed on. But yeah, so um, uh, I was awarded my toko toko uh, at Hawke's Bay uh, Matahiwi Marae um, by Jacob Scott, the uh, master carver who carved mine, and also Selena's um, toko toko. And so, um, uh, as I mentioned the other night, mine is called Teikore, and uh, it is uh, made of black miry, quite a heavy wood um, that uh, actually Jacob rescued from a, um, a firewood pile, he said. Uh, he, he noticed it and uh, it's getting more difficult, or he said he, there's not too much left uh, of this old uh, indigenous forest mm. uh, remnants. Um, and so he, anyway, he found us and he's carved it with various uh, symbols that relate to to my heritage, um, which is 
Tongan on my uh, grandmother's side and Rotuman on my grandfather's on my maternal grandfather is uh, uh, was uh, Tonu Sitaveni from the village of Matusa, um, one of the seven districts of Rotuma, and uh, my um, grandmother was from uh, Tongatapu. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I, um, though people often ask me about my uh, uh, Pacifica heritage, uh, I, I don't know a lot about it, though, uh, um, because, uh, I, as also I mentioned the other night, uh, we were encouraged to like assimilate when we came to New Zealand. And I was just sort of a part of that very early wave in the very early 60s arriving here when um, uh, there wasn't a, a lot of um, uh, Pacifica culture visible. Um, and uh, when I was growing up as a kid in uh, South Auckland, going to Aoriri College and so forth, mm. um, yeah, it was it was it was sort of just there. But so uh, so anyway, uh, so I've, um, I've sort of uh, worked and uh, learned uh, I learned to um, use the craft of English uh, poetry to express my my uh, sense of uh, my place in the world. So uh, that's a sort of meandering introduction to me. No, it's a beautiful <laughs> introduction because even though mine's bigger than yours, <laughs> um, yours is important too. And so... <laughs> yeah. By way of introducing um, Tusitala Kapura, Tusitala meaning storyteller and Kapura meaning long, slow-burning flame, this is the poem that I shared when I accepted it. So by way of introduction, I'd like to share that with you. And then um, I'm sure we'd like to hear more of the detail of yours, your smaller one. <laughs> I'm terrible, eh? <laughs> toko, 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 toko on the wall. Who's the fairest poet of them all? Not me. I'm brown. And where we come from, toko toko don't hang on the wall. They're not archived in museum drawers. We hold ours firmly in our hand. They help tell our story. They help us stand. Hmm. Um. This is uh, Te Kore. Uh, I was told this is the name that was chosen for it because uh, when uh, he rescued it from the, uh, the fire, when uh, um, Jacob uh, discovered that part of the wood was sort of punked and, and it sort of came out, it was caught out. And so the, this is the void, um, which in, in Maori mythology is the source of creation. And uh, the darkness Te Po is, is uh, potentiality. So this is a kind of like... A, it got a, a sort of a, like a, a lightning rod or something that conducts uh, energies, uh, and I feel that very strongly. Uh, when I held the Matua Toko Toko at uh, Matahiwi Marae, which is the one which is held at the National Library in Wellington, so it's the parent, parent Toko Toko, there's one at the National Library. Um, we all get our own uh, as poet laureates, so each of us has our own Toko Toko. Um, anyway, when I had, held that one, um, and struck the ground with it, 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 it seemed to resound. It had this, genuinely had this feeling that it was quite a powerful, it was probably just the earth that I struck it on, but it, it seemed to boom. And uh, that sense of, uh, you know, the, the kind of stories we're telling as, as poets of Aotearoa, New Zealand today, 
to uh, what is our identity in this country and how do we, how do we create our own rituals to um, strengthen our sense of uh, confidence as a people in this country. Uh, and I think the, these badges of office are all part of that to establish the fact that we have our own kind of poet laureate scheme running here and our own poet laureateship with its own rituals and, uh, and so forth. So um, I suppose I should read a poem of mine, um, which in a way is uh, just a short one. Uh, it's, um, it's called Tamaki Drive. And uh, Tamaki Drive, rap, thumps, it, a canoe hauling chant from inside a four-wheel drive with tinted windows, whose engines reverberant whine, sings the names of Tamaki's thousand lovers. The stars are unseen as wet dawn lights up each type of sea wave and kind of rain, splashing the runnels of each walker voyaging on. The land itself is choppy today, rain smacking the sides of cars, trucks, vans, utes, that metal cataract pouring through and away. The compass of the city lurches and corrects to the equator as warm rain breaks like bow spray along roads flung like a net around bumps of an ocean-dwelling tanifa with a slick green shine. Thank you. Gorgeous. Thank you, David. Thank you. So yours might pound like an earthquake on the ground, but mine flies in the air oh, quite beautifully. It swishes yeah. in the air and yeah. it shoes away flies, both real and imaginary ones in the space between the speaker, the poet, the creative, and those who hear and receive. My burning desire when I became Poet Laureate was to get the message out there, especially to kids. Yes. Because I thought, this, you know, I mean, royalty, right? This is, yeah. this is aspirational. This is like super, superhero powers invested in those who write yes. and speak yes. poetry. And yes. so um, first book, Mophead, has this, the Poet Laureate story in there. Aotearoa New Zealand is the only country in the world to give their poets laureate toko toko, carved Māori walking sticks. Poets give artist Jacob Scott special things to carve into their own toko toko. David, did you give Jacob any particular, any taonga? Um, well, he, well, I did have conversations with him over the phone and uh, he did invite me up to Hawke's Bay, but I didn't actually make it before before the, the handing over of, of my toko toko. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, as I said, it, it's got little carvings on it. Uh, it's quite richly embellished, uh, polished, and uh, it's got stainless steel fixtures, and it actually unscrews. So I carry it around in two parts uh, in a tupper cloth bag. Um, the tupper cloth uh, was uh, gifted to my family by my Tongan uh, relatives. Um, and so I carry it like an a, a arrow quiver over my uh, shoulder. And uh, it's got a zipper, it's got an in, internal lining uh, that uh, helps to keep the tupper cloth strong. So um, I, I, think, I think, yeah, as, as poet laureates, we, 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 uh, we have our, we have our toko toko as, our, as a sort of an emblem. And uh, I will be writing a poem for my toko toko. I have just, I'm, I'm still collecting ideas for it at the moment, but I have not actually written a poem. As yet, for uh, Te Kore. When I when I first saw Te Kore, I saw you, like that. Mm. That is your aesthetic. 
you know. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's, it's a dark wood. Uh, <laughs> heavy. Uh, I mean minimalist, right, small and yeah. minimalist. Oh, okay. I mean not I, small. It's more I like mean, a toy Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Um, yeah. Um, or it, it, I, it, a lot of metaphors come to mind, you know, um, with with this uh, uh, attracting lightning and and sort of. Uh, uh, and channeling energies of the land, mm. um, and, uh, and so the mana whenua and all that. So I, I, I believe that um, it's important for us to have these uh, ideals and uh, notions and to translate them into, uh, into poems that, that kind of uh, resonate and communicate with people. I live in Dunedin. Um, it's opposite pole to uh, Auckland. Okalani is like the great Polynesian city facing outwards into the Pacific. Dunedin is more like, I suppose, uh, insular and, and turn, turned in. It, it, it has a lot of ghosts there. Um, the, the literary history of the place, um, the spirits have walked there. I mean, from the, from the Presbyterian founding fathers and, the, and then the gold rush. Uh, and they brought the wealth to uh, and enabled those founding fathers had the vision of a kind of a religious city to kind of build the university and all those churches, those wonderful stone churches. And, and there's a kind of a brooding atmosphere of the fog and mist over the hills. and, and that. So I kind of like the... Uh, I mean, I, I've followed a grand tradition. Uh, Hone Tufari uh, chose, uh, chose that as an adopted home, Dunedin, Otipoti, and likewise uh, Rolf Hotari lived there for many years. And so there's uh, quite a strong spiritual sense there. James K. Baxter came out of, came out of uh, uh, Brighton near, near Dunedin. Um, his family, those sort of Highland crofters and, and, uh, and so forth. And um, likewise, Janet Frame uh, grew up in Omaru, moved to Dunedin. Uh, so rich in literary history um, that I'm uh, proud to be uh, associated with and be part of. Uh, and then uh, I grew up in Auckland, so I have the, those two poles, really, in a way. Um, I mean, Auckland's this kind of wild, anarchic-like place for me with all these different suburbs spread out. And growing up here in the 70s uh, was uh, quite a macho culture. And uh, poets were kind of had to, had to like, survive on their wits. Um, there was the Globe Hotel uh, run by Dave Mitchell, where I used to turn up uh, regularly week after week and read my poetry. Mm -hmm. And we met up with John Poulet there, and uh, we formed a, a two South Auckland Polynesian poets, and we hit the road. We travelled all around New Zealand performing our poetry back in the early 80s. It was a time of the sp uh, anti-Springbok movement, uh, anti-tour movement, I should say, against the Springbok tour. Uh, and so New Zealand was changing at that time. David Longy became the Prime Minister, everything associated with Muldoon represent the old repressive New Zealand. Uh, we saw New Zealand uh, as uh, going in a different direction and uh, people will remember that, you know, anti-nuclear demonstrations um, and the whole kind of Rainbow Warrior bombing in 1985 and that was when I went to England and won the uh, uh, Street Entertainer of the Year Award at Convent Garden as a poet. Um, and, uh, and also Kerry Hume won the Booker. So that was a great year for New Zealand, getting a, that, that early, um, relatively early in comparison to where we are now, sense of identity of what, what it means to be a Pacifica nation. Mm -hmm. And so I was part of, I suppose, in that pioneering kind of phase, really, in a way, the transition between the, the old, more colonial type New Zealand and the modern, um, postmodern situation we have now. See what I mean? Bumper to bumper, right? Bumper to bumper, image, language, just, <laughs> just so I, we could listen to you all day, but we don't have all day, David. So, um, can, 
This was one of the first poems that made me feel like I belonged as a Pacific Islander. I found yep. it was in um, South Pacific Sunrise, published in the 86. It's called Karanga Happy Road Celebrates. Would yep. you read it for us? Okay. This is a poem that uh, I was... Um, uh, I kind of came up with this poem um, in, uh, in, the, in the early 80s, and it was about the experience of what K-Road was like in those days. Uh, I was uh, uh, sort of just a young guy, uh, kind of trying to find my way, coming in from South Auckland. I lived in Ponsonby um, at that time. Um, and it was actually a, a different space, a different kind of geographical space and a different mental space. So I had to kind of make, make that transition. But um, uh, Auckland at that time, um, there were a lot of Polynesian people living in Ponsonby, but they're all starting to move out. And, and that was the beginning of the gentrification uh, that we have today. But... Um, I was thinking about, I, I always kind of like look, look around and see the images of a place before I, uh, uh, what, the, what, what, what the mood is, what the sense of a place is before I, I kind of write about it. This is um, a collection of images about, about Ponsonby and it was actually painted on, on uh, sorry, Crang uh, uh, Happy Road, it was actually painted on Crang Happy Road on the pavement uh, at the top of Queen Street and K Road, the intersection there. Uh, and I stayed there for quite a while. Uh, I used to come up here and see it still there, gradually fading away. It's finally faded away, but these are the words that, of that poem. Karanga Happy Road celebrates. Mango skin jewels, Tahitian sunset, rose and lime. Earth oven steam, punga moon, hibiscus sky. A summer frock that floats as she moves. A truckload of drumhead cabbages breaks to a halt. Yams, boxes of wriggly pink toes. Fat green banana fingers hula their way through slats. In a boarding house, Monday stews away in a burnt saucepan. The gullies, one long black mid-afternoon yawn. Guava hangs on the air, frangipani too, like sea foam lace. Cherry stains the purple lamingtons deluxe through windows and cellophane. An instamatic cheeseburger snaps its garter. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So good. So good. So I was recently talking to another Dunedin boy, Shane Carter, who's moved up to Auckland. I said, Shane, Shane, give me some dirt. Give me some grit. Give me a question that I can throw at David, because they were peers. And Well, what was your connection with Shane Carter back in the day? Um, oh, well, uh, I mean, uh, I, I moved to Dunedin uh, in the 19, early 1980s um, for a while, uh, and then I came back to Auckland. Uh, and then I, I applied for the Robbie Burns Fellowship, and so I moved back down again in 1990. Um, and I've sort of stayed there pretty much ever since. Um, and uh, Shane, of course, was uh, famously associated with the Flying Nun uh, bands and um, a number of bands like Double Happies and... Um, and uh, <laughs> the name of his other bands escaped me, but, yeah, I met up with him here and there and saw him performing around the place. But uh, more recently, we um, started to collaborate on some um, where he set some of my poetry to music um, for a venture that was organised um, in association with a city-sister relationship with Edinburgh. Um, this was uh, um, just before COVID, and um, unfortunately, um, that didn't come about. Where where they were going to send a group of uh, New Zealand of Dunedin uh, musicians, Robert Scott. Shane Carter, myself as a poet, and a couple of other people over to over to Edinburgh, but so that didn't happen. But that's sort of um, 
uh, uh, an occasion on which I work with, with Shane, but uh, you say you have some... <laughs> well, not, <laughs> not some dirt, really. Um, is Shane here? <laughs> he's not, okay. So he, you know, because he said, like, we were the punks, and yeah. we couldn't tell if David was a punk or more of a hippie. Hmm. We thought he was a hippie. Yeah, yeah. We were the real punks. That's until we, you know, kind of discovered what real punks were. And right. he's like, yeah, so what are you going to do with that? And so I texted him. I said, um, Shane, here's my question. How would you define the hippie aesthetic compared with the punk aesthetic in the early 70s? And in what ways did and does your work embrace both or either or neither now? <laughs> and Shane was like, <laughs> what, he sent back a question mark. <laughs> um, so for me, no, I was thinking actually, what is the connection there? And I was thinking, well, actually, a name that springs to mind is Chris Knox. He was like the crossover guy. He was the guy who, who, who actually saw, saw the transition. And, and again, actually, he's of my generation, Chris. And also, uh, likewise, the split ends, uh, you know, with uh, um, the Finn brothers, you know. Uh, so... So they kind of, they kind of, as a poet, I, I saw myself as, as kind of running in parallel with what, what they were doing uh, in music. And um, Shane was sort of a bit younger than us, but um, he's part of that as well. Mm. And, and I suppose I do get identified a bit as a kind of a punk rock poet who, was, who used to perform with Flying Nun bands uh, back in the day. So, yeah, that is part of the, my legacy or my history as a, as a performance poet is, um, is that. Uh, and, uh, and Dunedin's got that rich uh, musical tradition that I was, uh, again, proud and glad to be associated with. So I've always thought of myself as, as a joiner, as being part of, of other movements that are going on in this country and wanting to express my own point of view, but within the context of, of, uh, of, the, of the society. Because mm -hmm. I think poetry should speak for the society and poems should reflect some of the values of society. I, admittedly, I came from an anti poetry point of view to begin with, in that my poems are often seen as not really poetry. They were, maybe they were rap, or maybe they were... Uh, Rants? Sort of, uh, sort of Called the ranter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rants, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and then uh, um, more um, recently, uh, only in the last few years, I've started to, uh, the doors have opened up and I've started to get these awards. Now you're in. Yeah, now I'm, yeah. And now I'm inside looking out, as it were, I suppose. <laughs> but um, I, try to, I try to still keep that sense of perspective. And as myself as a bit of an outsider, because I do have this, like yourself, uh, a mixed background, or, uh, a mixed heritage, and so we can see both sides of the equation. Um, we, can, we can speak from the Pacific perspective and also from our, uh, from our Palangi uh, inheritance. And, and so I think that's quite important to be able to, to um, have a measured response to the sides of your character. I often feel I've been in conflict. Bit, bit of contradictory, just uh, uh, where we come from, as uh, a uh, uh, that, that But that is actually a source of strength in this in this multicultural uh, time that we live in. Is to be uh, is to be able to uh, is to be able to see different sides. Of, and so I try to have my poetry is quite multifaceted and all these different angles, you know. Mm, so mm. like yourself, undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got a early collection, and I wasn't aware of it. Sorry, but it was it's it was called Fast Talker, right? And um, my first collection was Fast Talking PI. And I only realised after that you had published a book with that well, similar title years and years ago, so sorry about it. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, but it worked for us. And Fast Talking, Ranting, Performance Poetry, what do you see as the connection between that kind of 
aesthetic and our identity as mixed, multicultural poets, um, you know, rooted in the South Pacific, rooted in Moana. Yeah, um, I mean, that's right. I mean, it's, it, uh, when, I, when I heard your poem, Fast Talking P.I., I, I was taken by the rap and the, and the performance aspects of it, and it seemed to me it did draw on you know, uh, Polynesian chants and rhythms, much as my own stuff does. And, and we have that, I wouldn't say innate, innate sense of rhythm, but certainly a knack for being able to, uh, to get the language to uh, kind of dance and, and uh, you know, move around almost like a, in a sort of, a, you know, a dance style. It's, 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 so we make the language performative and, and we have the ability, uh, uh, you like me, to, uh, to get it to... Uh, to get it to animate, to animate it uh, off the off the page and onto the stage, but but not in a kind of a, um, not in the kind of um, necessarily. Uh, um, it's more of a more of a more of a, a, a joyous celebration kind of way that we bring the language out. I was thinking, I was just trying to think of us in relation to slam poetry, the younger generation mm -hmm. that are coming mm -hmm. through, the millennials, mm -hmm. but we are more like. Uh, uh, um, who, who draw on draw on uh, rap and, and and chant and and traditional traditional rhythms? I just feel like they're in my blood, those mm. kinds of rhythms. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, I, I relate this very strong to my mother, the way that she used to, uh, she is quite a performer herself. So uh, in what ways? <laughs> uh, she's a very uh, lively, extroverted person who's always the life and soul of the party. Yes. And so, uh, um, uh, you know, at one point she was uh, asked. Uh, to get involved with politics here in Auckland, but um, she decided not to. She was more like a party person. She didn't really want it, but she had that, she had that kind of ability to, to uh, project and, and to uh, speak for lots of people. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Um, oh, gorgeous. You have um, another poem to read for us? Yeah, uh, I think since it's the theme here is, is a bit like Pacifica, I, I'll, I'll read a poem. Just a little bit. I just, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, which is kind of like about about that. It, it, it is it is a poem called "The Great Wave," um, and I I wrote it really um, after my mother uh, passed away uh, in 2016. Um, this is called uh, "The Great Wave." Uh, I should say a bit of context is that I, I went with my brother, I travelled back to Suva to meet up with family relatives after that time and make some connections. And uh, we stayed at the Holiday Inn in uh, Suva and uh, lots of relatives came around to see us and then we went out to their places and so forth. And that's got a little bit of context to this poem. So it's called The Great Wave. There is no God but God. Go mongooses in the monsoon. The rains thrum on empty biscuit tin drums to rattle Suva market and flick your face. The jail's walls are ivory, a rainbow crooks an elbow. The old shoeshine boy begs for money for a cup of tea and two pieces of bread. Everybody wears jogging shoes and sneakers. The jingle jangle of the bangle cellar is drowned by a radio that could walk 500 miles and then go walking on the moon to a baseline by Sting. A crimson hibiscus lay drapes the punch bowl at the bar where I renovate my inner temple and wait for the night to extend my winning streak as hotel staff slice tops off fresh pineapples to reach garlanded pinnacles of mirrors. A hinge bends to lift a drift log from the surf. Thus spake Zarathustra to the Fa'afine, 
Bruise me with purple shadows of evening fallen over searched caves of eyes that lids close on. I listen to the ocean chant words from Rotuma. The Mariposa is a butterfly between islands, a heat wave fathoms green whose light spreads its coconut oil or ghee or thick candle nut soot, twinkles like fireflies over plantation gloom, and hearts surge is the world's deep breath. I learn to love every move the great wave makes. It coils you into each silken twist of foam blown far all the way to salt-touched Tonga with mango pits, wooden baler, shells awash. My uncle, swimming from New Zealand, wades out of the sea and wades on shore at Levuka, where my grandmother is staring out from a hillside grove of trees waiting for him. And David, uh, you know, I just feel kind of like massaged by your language, like lomi lomi massage, like boop, 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 boop. It's, a, it's, it's wonderful to be on the receiving end of that, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, you're not just, like, we were just talking backstage and I said to David, so wh what do you do for your bread and butter? He's like, this is it. I'm a full-time writer and um, I admire that so much what what's life like as a full-time writer and when you were contacted by the National Library just kind of thing um, yeah I, I was uh, the editor of Landfall for quite a while and I well, sort of Montana Book Award winner eight, seven or eight times for best New Zealand reviewer um, and invaluable um, work in building up critical mass around our own literature yeah I guess uh, on that point I should say that when I was growing up in South Auckland trying to assimilate, I, um, I, the question came up, like, like, like uh, you've you got to be a New Zealander. Well, what is a New Zealander? It started me thinking about how, how do, do I become a New Zealander? Because our family were migrants. My father was like a, a migrant from England, and, and, and he met my mother in Fiji when he was uh, serving in the Royal New Zealand Air Force. And, uh, and uh, um, he, he got married over there, and uh, we sort of grew up in Fiji when I was a kid. Um, I want to say he got married, he actually had quite a lot of trouble marrying my mother because uh, it was frowned on. And uh, as he was uh, serving in the New Zealand Armed Forces, they were actually talking about bringing him back to New Zealand, separating him, and not allowing him to uh, marry my mother at that time. So he had actually lawyers involved. Um, this is the 1950s, so things were quite repressive uh, in those terms. But um, so, so we arrived here, you know, when I was a kid, uh, as, as sort of migrants, trying to figure out our place in New Zealand, uh, and so I started reading the literature and then wanting to, <clears throat> you know, express my own ideas about what, what, what New Zealand writing is, and, and I just followed it all the way through. That's why I've sort of written about culture, written about New Zealand artists, New Zealand photography, New Zealand music, and, and, and of course, New Zealand literature. Um, and they're all kind of really start from this very strong impulse, what is this thing that I am part of here in, in, in New Zealand? You know, New Zealand? Why is New Zealand different from from Australia and, 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 and uh, what makes us distinctive. And I mean, a lot of people say, well, why do you waste your time to do that? But no, for me, it's important to understand where I, where I fit in this, in this nation. And so uh, and that's why I end, finally ended up editing Landfall and, and being a writer full-time and, and uh, performance part and blah -de -blah, all, that, all that sort of fitting together. Um, and then so I was busy working on my latest writing project um, when I got the phone call from Chris, 
like yourself, out of the blue, um, and like he said, we'd like you to be the next poet laureate. And um, uh, and like you know, uh, it was like news to me. And so uh, he said, don't you don't have to rush. <laughs> I said, no, no, that sounds great. I really, <laughs> I'm really into that. And, and so um, it was it was a great moment. It was really actually very affirming. Uh, because I have been working away for quite a while, and, and uh, you know, you do feel, and I'm sure you feel the same way, that suddenly that recognition from your peers, and, and because there's a panel uh, which uh, advises the uh, the chief librarian um, on on the possible possibilities for the for the poet laureate. Um, what the prime minister's award wasn't enough for you? <laughs> and let's say it was like well, the conch, <laughs> not enough for you to win the New Zealand Book Award, the 2016. No. Um, I, well, the funny thing is they all suddenly happened quite relatively recently in my career, later on. Uh, um, and, and, uh, uh, and so it is a bit of a, a head-spinning moment when, when I'm thinking, uh, um, you know. But the thing is, I also I have to acknowledge that there are other poets similar and writers similar to myself, many of my friends who won't get the chance, so I've really got to speak on their behalf and, 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 and share, in a way, the, what this, this means uh, to the culture, and 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 that they should have their voices heard, and that's why I uh, advocate for on behalf of poetry. I think that my job is to help it anthologies, and and to uh, um, encourage other poets to be heard in on all different kinds of uh, writing contexts and so forth. So so that's all part of the role of the poet laureate is to is to speak out on behalf not just of my poetry, but of poetry as as a vital living element of our language and our culture here in 2021, and, and it's all part of that significant um, impact that, that New Zealand has globally in a time of pandemic, that we have this, um, we have a very articulate, um, uh, um, we have articulacy operating across a whole number of spheres in New Zealand at the moment, but I'm thinking in particular, um, literature should be able to um, express, express that um, in the subtle degrees, uh, um, especially going through you know, um, the time of the pandemic um, how a writer's responding to that and, um, and uh, speaking uh, just uh, uh, all the subtleties that are involved in that sort of thing. So Absolutely. all of that is part of, part of my role. Absolutely. And just to, you know, at the um, Pacifica Marama um, Nganga session yesterday, we talked about getting voices, more brown voices out there in, in mainstream, the mainstream published literary field. And... Um, I had submitted poems a few times to Landfall, um, New Zealand's leading critical anthology, and they never accepted me once <laughs> until you became the editor. And um, what that did for my confidence was phenomenal because suddenly someone is at that gatekeeping position and they hear you and they see you and they recognize your aesthetic and um, you, your, your kind of status as a, as, a, as a critic meant that I was fairly confident you didn't just let me in because I was brown. <laughs> but it, it's shifting paradigms and ways we see. And the more of us in roles, of editorial roles, critic roles, and you know, ma making space for others just because we recognise the aesthetics operating there, so I have to, um, I don't know what year that was, but it, it was pretty cool. Um, I think you're too self-deprecating, Selena. You're actually a very good writer, and your work was chosen on its merits, <laughs> for sure. 
Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I had a similar experience. When I was starting to write in the early 1980s, I self-published my own broadsheets so I could get my work published in Landfall. I said, work off to Landfall. No, we, we're sorry, we, have, we cannot accept these poems at this. But we encourage you to submit more work kind of thing. Um, you know, so it's a long, it's the, the arc is, trajectory is eventually, um, if you keep going, <laughs> you, you, you will kind of, uh, in New Zealand, I think, uh, if you're any good, you'll be acknowledged. And I think even, uh, poetry is, it works on many, in many levels, and one level is just pure self-expression, that you can use poetry for yourself to express things that you think about, and almost like doodles, verbal doodles and, 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 and graffiti, mm. and that's, that's a level of use of language. Language is where it all starts, mm. and that, that wish to communicate and the wish to use that, that, that innate skill all humans have to use words, you know, to, to use their diaphragm to express through their mouths. Um, you know, as W.H. Auden said, um, poetry is a, is a mouth. Poetry is a way of happening. Poetry mm. connects us. And um, W.H. Auden, by the way, is, is a great favourite poet of mine, a very important political poet in the 20th century. And even today, we're still quoting him, uh, uh, Gare du Nord, one of his poems, or Gare du Midi, about um, someone who arrives in a city with a suitcase uh, and sets out to infect the entire city as if with a virus. And, and you know, during 9-11, uh, people were quoting W.H. Auden, uh, his poem uh, about the fall of Icarus, relating to the Twin Towers um, falling... Um, and September the 1st, 1939, um, that was quoted by um, LBJ during the Vietnam War and so forth. So the power of poetry is not to be underestimated, and we have our own um, Honde Tufares, great, great political poems from uh, No Ordinary Sun uh, about nuclear testing the South Pacific, to O Africa about, uh, about apartheid regime in South Africa. And uh, so I'm, I'd like to be part of that tradition, that, mm -hmm. that Honde represents and W.H. Shorten and all these other poets. That's, that's another strong motive for me to write poetry is to, is to uh, um, when I go back to Dunedin uh, next week I will be taking part in the Myanmar Solidarity Concert um, and I think that's an important role for poetry is to, is to, is to speak out on behalf of an, uh, uh, against injustice and things like that. So, so is there a tipping point um, for you when a poem a political poem turns into a, a didactic rant that then p turns people off because they're being told what to think as opposed to being provoked into what to yeah, think? Yeah, I know that's a good question and I think it, there's a, there, it's a bit difficult to judge at times and sometimes I do think I do go a bit too far with the, with the <laughs> ranting and uh, you know, uh, too much in people's faces with, 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 with my ideas but I d in general I believe I'm trying to keep a balanced point of view I, I mean, I am a, a Libra, and uh, I believe in balance. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of part of my nature, and try to get a. Um, uh, incidentally, I was, uh, I was, uh, my, I share a birthday with Ian Wede and with C.K. Stead. Oh, his <laughs> 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 so Toko Toko has um, got a goat handle, by the way. Just thought I'd mention. Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, it's just a curious coincidence, and actually. We, <laughs> Yeah, we we're also going to be seeing him in <laughs> August, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. so there's a, another poet laureate gathering in, in Wellington, the National Library, in August, when we'll be launching a, a chapbook called Thrownet, which is poems that I wrote when I held the uh, Fulbright uh, Creative uh, New Zealand uh, Pacific Writers Residency in Hawaii. So they are poems based on my time in Hawaii. I was there in 2018 for three months, and uh, a really amazing time, and I got heaps of ideas and, and imagery. So... There's a, a chapbook's going to be produced in, in, co in collaboration with this assembly of, of poet laureates 
um, past and present in Wellington, the National Library, in August 2021. Mm. Um, and the chapbook is actually being printed by Brendan O'Brien, um, Greg O'Brien's brother. He's a noted uh, printer. And Greg O'Brien will be the MC for the evening for us uh, poet laureates who are that's there. So gorgeous. that's something to look forward to. Yeah. You know? And because of COVID, you've had your reign extended by a year. So what, what else have you got planned um, for us? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if I'd think of it as a reign. Uh, oh, <laughs> good. Uh, but uh, yeah, the laureateship, uh, it goes for another year. And uh, as the laureate, uh, we'll be hopefully writing poems about New Zealand events. And, and, and uh, of course, in the, uh, with, the, with the COVID-19, um, it's going to be difficult to travel. In fact, I've just been invited back to Hawaii this October. So I'm just mm. pondering that. I'm not sure if I'm actually going to make that to the Stars of Oceania, which uh, apparently was addressed by uh, the witty Himaira and various other um, uh, writers have been involved with that. But it, it, that's kind of, those kinds of events are, are, are coming up as possibilities, but maybe more into 2021. Mm. There may be some. I'm just not sure. I can't see that far in the future. Mm. But, but whether we, we, it'll, all the COVID-19 situation will lift or not. So, mm. um, but in the meantime, I'm happy to go around New Zealand and, and recite poems and bring poetry to the people. Mm. Lucky for us. So <laughs> do you have one more poem to read there, um, David? Think of your question. I want to give a good, healthy um, 12 minutes to questions. Yeah. Um, oh, well, perhaps um, I, should ask a sh I should read a short poem then um, in that case. Um, I'll read one about uh, living down south, uh, the South Island, wonderful landscapes of the South Island. I uh, call this uh, Southern Embroidery. It's just a short poem. Southern Embroidery. A killed joy's claw, a feathered dawn, the liar's tripwire that traps birdsong, a hawk's lunge, a car's speed, magnetic mountains burning white, turquoise lake, skeletal rock clack to sound the glooms of algal blooms, freak out, traverse, funky forest floor, blood hot springs, and hails cool millions, a rainbow sifts gravel for colour, rusty, rusty prayer wheels of seagulls turn, the whale's moor pulls everything in, while octopus tentacles with motion seek sudden fanfares of dolphin whistles. Sooty shearwater flocks crowd the sky, drawn black thread, thicker and thicker, on a single breath float moon and feather. Southern Embroidery. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to open the floor up to any questions. If there are no questions, I'll get David to read another poem. But just, there are two standing mics here. If you could go to the mic and line up at the mic and ask your question, not statement, we will endeavour to answer together. Someone's going up to the mic. Gorgeous. idea of your legacy and um, being part of a powerful tradition, a lasting tradition. Um, you also talked about what you inherited as legacy from your two cultures and um, 
I'm curious, is, is legacy something that we should be deliberate about? Should we choose what kind of legacy we're trying to build? Or is it just something that happens naturally because of who we are? Do we have a duty to protect the, what we've inherited from our cultures as part of our legacy? Um, well, there are many ways of talking about that. Um, the, the legacy of uh, our writers, which relates to our history, uh, and uh, and um, I I, uh, I I kind of uh, I don't research, but I mean I read the newspaper and I watch the news and and I talk to people and and that that all goes into my poetry. And the other side of that is I simply I've always been a great reader um, since since I was a kid and just. Uh, being fascinated by by writing words and and language and um, finding my own way of uh, of writing and and my own voice and that's what every poet aspires to do every and every writer of course um, but um, I I also think that you're jostling with other with other writers to express what your point of view and and so. Uh, and so I deliberately went out on a limb with my own writing. It was quite provocative and subversive, and 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 a lot of people said, you know, like I said before, it's not really poetry. And so you have to win people over because if you use some of the properties of poetry, the rhythm and and the language, it's primal. You know, it's it's speaking directly. Um, James K. Baxter was was he he took in Tam O'Shanter. And, and those Scottish poems by Robert Burns, because his father told them to him when he was a, a child. Um, I never had that experience. I had to kind of discover literature for myself. So I was always listening out for the way we talk here. And that's why I live here in this country. And that's why I talk about legacy. I, I mean, I couldn't live in, in London or somewhere and talk about legacy. I wouldn't feel that was right. So, so it's, it's all about place. You've got to be here, be on the ground in this country, feel the rhythms, feel the earthquakes. Mm. And uh, roll with it, you know. I, I'm not sure if I'm answering <laughs> your question very well, but that—that's my feeling mm. about this. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. David, I first encountered your writing through your critical writing before I came to grips with the fact that you were a poet. I think I'd seen some poetry, but. Your critical writing has a specific voice that actually really captured me. Do you think that being a poet has influenced the way you write your critiques? Because, because they were magical. A lot of them said so much about the visual art that I particularly was looking at. Um, and you had this real knowledge of what it was you were writing about. Mm. Thank you. Um, I, 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 I'm with, uh, I stand with Gertrude Stein, uh, kind of in a way. It says, a poem is a poem is a poem. You know, a poem is its own reality. In a way, it doesn't need critical uh, uh, elucidation. The poem speaks for itself. And, and, and that led on to my thinking about, well, what is a piece of critical writing then? Surely a piece of critical writing should, should have its own integrity, its own, its own kind of organic... Uh, um, uh, Creative uh, kind of um, uh, energies, which which uh, kind of make it worth reading for itself. So if you even if you're commenting on someone else, 
I don't think you should use creative writing to like to to sort of sneer or put down. I always believe that that critical writing is there to to um, support creative writing, but also to to kind of have have its own mana, have its own power. So so the critical writing I, I do is is essays, and and it, I, the tradition I follow is that of Virginia Woolf, um, uh, Gore Vidal, these. Um, Clive James, great essayists who, who kind of use uh, literature as a springboard to talk about everything else, about life and, and, and you know, John Updike. There are many, many people that I, that I admire and I've, I've tried to write from a New Zealand perspective about New Zealand artists um, who might, who, you know, in, in international terms, we get regarded, regarded as parochial, provincial, um, marginal, Sideline. This has been the way of the, of, of, of all all the way along. I, I believe that that we've got a um, you know we can stand up, and I've tried to express that that we can stand up with the best of them around the world. And I, I, I think if if you can articulate articulate your responses, how I feel about something, and it always starts with my own genuine response um, to a, a work of art, um, and and then I think about well, I just I didn't didn't like that. Why didn't I like it? And I try to explain it to myself. And then share that with people. So, you know, there are all those layers to it. I guess that's why it, <laughs> it kind of makes it stronger um, if you put, invest a bit of time. A lot of people say, "Well, I haven't got time to." Uh, to I've got to, got to. So, so I do take a. Uh, I do take a while to to create a piece of um, to create a, a, a review, and um, and I, but I try to load that review and in much the same way as I load my poems. I suppose it is, in the end, it's a personal thing, just the way I do it. But thank you for um, acknowledging my creative writing. Uh, um, one day I might bring out a collection of Critical writings. That would be wonderful. Yeah. It would be wonderful because, David, you, you role-modelled for me how you could be in-depth, critical, rigorous, and I know it's a bit of a kind of catchword, but kind. Like, as a fellow maker you acknowledge what it takes to make something. So rather than the kind of critique that pulls apart something, you know, mm. it's like the honouring of that creative yeah, act yeah. and the building upon it. And what you just said to, to just then is like you're figuring out how, why you don't like something. So it's back here, you know, working out that internal process instead of plopping an agenda on something yeah, that yeah. the maker may not have even than thinking about That's right. I think it's on to you how you respond and you've got to be honest to that response but also explain explain it. And and so that circles around this whole idea of honesty, dishonesty and a review. And and <laughs> but um, um, authenticity and integrity, I, I, I think you gotta to try to maintain those, but at the same time you don't wanna to be too heavy with that. You gotta try and keep it light, you know, keep it throw free jokes in there and and even, <laughs> even spar around to make it happen and yeah. make it, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Are there any other? Oh, there's a question there. Thanks. Hello. Noi Modi. Nice to um, see you talk, David. This is the first time I've ever seen you talk. Selena knows me. <laughs> um, my question is kind of related to the first question. I was really interested, um, David, when you were talking about how your ancestors came to this country and um, your background as well. Our backgrounds are virtually the same. Um, so I'm Rituman Samuan Tongan ancestry, Balangi ancestry. So 
and the stories that you told um, about you know um, m problems with with marriage and love and assimilation are very 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 similar. I wonder if it, these are there are shared experiences um, with um, mixed Rotumans everywhere. Um, first going from Rotuma to Fiji, then Fiji to New Zealand. And I wonder whether this background of cultural assimilation, I wonder whether to you there's a, you can see a connection between that kind of experience of being in an interstitial space in yourself with the, trying to collect and, and um, negotiate those two sides of your identity and a brashness and a fierceness and a sharpness um, and a truth-telling use of the written word because that's something we also share, you and your, you and your poetry and also I'm a, I'm a teacher and I used to write politics and be very brash and fierce myself and there's a kind of and, and Selena kind of has it too in her, in her in the, the, the rhythmic lyrical use of poetry do you think there's a connection between the two? like that, that, exper that experience of assimilation and trying to work, work it out in yourself and that the brashness and fierceness and sharpness of the written word. Yeah, I, I think you, you've, you've, you've summed it up pretty well. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> At least you just to say yes or no and I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, we're, we're expressing it from our generational points of view and uh, I belong to a generation that, you know, was... Uh, as I say, arrived here a certain time um, and, and grew up here a certain time. And so through the 70s, uh, as I, I alluded to, like it was a very macho time. You know, Adno Tara and, and Mangari um, poets were a bit thin on the ground and uh, it was more about um, kung fu fighting, street fighting was <laughs> a big thing. Uh, and, you know, gangs were uh, kind of thing and heading off, to the, uh, heading off to the pubs and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so that was actually, but it's actually rich territory because a lot of stories came out of that time. And a lot of the guys who were around then, you know, they sort of, they're no longer around because they, they live fast and, and, and hard and that. Um, and, so, uh, and so I feel like I, I, I'm left to kind of tell those kinds of stories, but they are, they are about the abrasiveness and fr frictions between different uh, minorities, I suppose you call them, or different cultural um, ethnicities at that time. It's sort of, I mean, I mentioned my uncle. He, he actually died in a, in a street brawl in Simon Street in the 50s. Uh, and I think it was partly racially motivated that he was attacked and, and died and that sort of thing. So, um, uh, you know, those frictions and tensions in, in the society, they, they, they're still around. And so uh, we're, it's incumbent upon us to, to, um, as, as representative writers to speak about those issues as well there. But, um, so as I say, uh, I kind of, I, but I, as a poet, I like to weave things in and out. So I'm very much aware of this didactic element being, and you don't win people over with didacticism. You kind of win them over by, by illustration and, and, and sharing. And kind of humorous slaps to the head, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, casual, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, casual. That you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's what I've got to say. Thank you. Beautiful, yeah. thank you. One last question. Kia uh, David, yeah, it's great to see you again. I saw you last in 1986 at the Wellington Fringe Festival. And I must admit at that time, I never thought I'd be addressing the Poet Laureate, you know, 30 years before. And I said, it's, it's great that that's happened. Now, I just, a few weeks ago, I was talking to another poet. And he said, uh, we were at school together. 
I taught him everything he knows. You, I'm not sure if you'd guess who it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, he said Robert Dahana. Yeah, and I was just wondering if you could just talk a little bit uh, about school and how that formed you as a poet or shaped you as a poet. Oh, uh, I went to Kedgley Intermediate School uh, and then to Aoriri College. Um, and I actually got quite a good education at Aoriri College at that time. I was a very good, very good English teacher and uh, very thankful for, for, for my experience there. Um, and yeah, Vaughan, Vaughan was uh, in my class and uh, actually uh, we were studying Latin. <laughs> uh, at that time, and he now he's a noted uh, um, Maori language activist um, in the school because he's he he, he uh, um, uh, has Maori ancestry. But um, yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, actually, I mean, I've been around for a while, so naturally, I've and I've lived in this country, so I've met up with all kinds of people and and take. So um, the thing for me is is how do I stay distinctive and find my own way of talking. And writing, and so that. But I, I've already sort of answered that is, is by is by reading hard, thinking hard, and, and then kind of writing hard. You know, it's just you've got to go for it. And um, I mean, there is another aspect is that actually uh, it's only recently that I've uh, been able to think about when I what when I buy something, I don't have to think twice about <laughs> not being able to afford to buy something else. But I've had a lot of support, I have to say, from from all kinds of people along the way as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I've ended up here as a poet laureate. Uh, what more can I say? Uh, I have the position for a little longer, and then it'll be handed over to someone else. So I think that's really great that I, I'm, I, I have the chance to say what I want to say and, and, and in an official capacity, and then, and then someone else will come along. And as, as Chris, the chief librarian, said, um, uh, we, we, it's up to us how we interpret the role of poet laureate in New Zealand poet laureate. It's entirely up to, to them and their personality character, their choices of what they want to emphasise in the role of Poet Laureate, which I think is really great. Mm. Please join me, Fukasea, David Eggleton, please join me in thanking His Highness. Tanakwe, you've been listening to a podcast from the 2021 Auckland Writers' Festival Waituhi or Tāmaki. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.